Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Titus chapter 2. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, I would encourage you to grab your smartphone, and uh, you can uh, download the Version Bible app, and uh, there at the very bottom, you'll see more. You click on that. Uh, then you'll see events, click on that, you'll see the outline, everything we're going to be covering and going through uh, today. But as a church, we have been journeying through the book of Titus. And today, we're coming to this topic of grace. That the only way, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, that the only way that we can be faithful in our community, faithful in our workplace, faithful in our church, again, in everything that we've been talking about over the last several weeks is by the grace of God. In fact, when you look at how verse 11 starts, it's really connecting everything he's just previously said in chapter 2 with this word for. That the reason why we act and the reason why we live faithfully in our culture is because of grace. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we have been talking all about our behavior, how we are to behave, how we're to interact with one another. But now he switches here in 11 through 15 to our beliefs, which is different than what Paul does in some of his other letters. In fact, this week I read that typically the way that Paul will write his letters is he'll start out with the doctrine and then he'll say, because of all of that, in light of all the things that I've just said, this is how you live. This is how this plays out in your life. This is how this works. But it seems that Paul thinks for a young pastor named Titus on the island of Crete that things need to be a little bit different. In fact, I was even thinking about how um, he divides those, that letter up, and it reminded me of Ephesians. Ephesians is a perfect example of this. And maybe I think of it because we taught through it a couple of years ago, but Ephesians chapters one through three is all about what God has done for you. Everything, like that you're forgiven, that you're redeemed. It's all the doctrinal things. And then four, five, and six are all about in light of all of that, this is how you live this out. This is how you work this out. This is how you live in your church. This is how you interact with one another. This is how you raise kids. Kids, this is how you're supposed to be with your parents. So in light of all of that, this is how you live. But again, Paul writing to a young pastor named Titus He doesn't feel like any of that is necessary. He wants to start talking about our behavior first. And then he says, because of all of that, this is the reason why and how you can live this out. And it's by God's grace. In fact, I read a story this week. It was about a family in California that had to deal with the fear of mudslides. And it was because of this huge downpour of rain from El Nino. And the fear of these mudslides really became a nightmare because one night as the family went to sleep, put their kid to bed, went into their bedroom, went to sleep, these mudslides tore through, split their house in half, carrying the family one way and carrying their baby another direction. That night, the parents spent all night searching and and their once beautiful neighborhood that they could walk through and enjoy now is just this huge muddy mess. And so as they're walking through, digging for, calling for their child, they're searching for their child all night long, but to no avail. They could not find the child. Well, early one morning, this worker just covered in mud showed up and, and he had this kind of small body in his arms and and it was a very much alive, and it was their baby. And so the mother came in, and she cleaned the child off, and, and all the dirt and all the filth that this child was covered in, and she promised to never let that child play in the mud again. And, and I read that this week, and I thought, man, this is really a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Because when we were in the filth of our sin, muddied with our guilt and our shame, 
We were being swept away for all of eternity, separated from God. God covered himself in the mud of this world to rescue us and to clean us off of the dirtiness of our sin. And he wants us to stay out of the muddiness of sin as well. In fact, the Bible even puts it this way, that he became sin for us. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us so that we might be right with God. It's because of his grace that he did this for us. And so if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is How Grace Changes Everything. How Grace Changes Everything. Because when we begin to understand grace, even just a little bit, it changes everything about us. But for some of us here today, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you're not yet a Christian, when we look at the dirtiness of our sin or the addictions that we have, we think, well, how do I just clean myself off first? I need to get myself clean before I even approach God because I've talked to people and they've been like, well, you know, uh, if, if I showed up to church or if I talked to God, man, God would zap me with lightning right there. Like he doesn't even want to talk to me. How do I clean myself off first before I even approach God? but that's not grace. There's others of us. It might not be an addiction, but you're very involved in church. You serve, but it's with very little joy and a lot of irritation. You're like, I'm here every single Sunday. I serve on four teams. I even show up to an awakened group, even though those other slackers never show up. And I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. And it's like, really? Would you tell your face? Because none of us seem to believe that a little bit, you know? For others of us, you feel like growth is just kind of flatlined. There's no obvious sin pattern in your life, but you feel numb. You feel like you're not growing. You feel stuck. Wherever you're at today, Christian, not a Christian, you feel like you're flatlined. You're not, you don't really have the joy. You're trying to clean yourself off. There is hope for all of us here today, and it is found in the grace of God. See, the Christian faith not only tells us what, we need, what needs to change, but how to change. And the answer is grace. So let's look at what Paul writes to Titus, as he talks about grace, he says this in verse 11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people For his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Verse 15 Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. As Christians, we say the word grace all the time, but what does it mean and how does grace actually change us? How does grace change everything in our lives? Well, I believe Paul points out three things the way that grace changes our life it changes our uh, past, grace changes our present, and grace changes our future. So let's look at the first one. Grace changes our past. And this is good news for all of us here today, because for so many of us, our past can be described as a burden that we carry everywhere we go. We can so often feel like we've got this weight on our shoulders and we long to find freedom. In fact, in the culture that Titus was in, people felt this exact same way. And they were looking for ways that they could find deliverance from this burden of this pain, this guilt, this shame that they have. And they thought that you had to do this by showing yourself worthy to the gods. That if you did all of the work, there might be this appearance or what Paul's trying to get at, this intervention, a god, a hero, as they thought, that would come in and that would help in their hopeless and helpless situation, save them from danger and the burden that they have. 
Again, this isn't something unique to Titus's time. We have this even today. There are churches and there are people who have bought into this very idea. There are people who feel like you have to work for your salvation, that there are things that you need to do. And maybe you're here today and you've bought into that. You're like, well, if I do enough good things versus the bad things, then God will accept me and let me into heaven. I got to work for my salvation. As if Jesus wasn't enough to save you and clean you off from your sins. You need Jesus. Can't do it through works. Then there's others who have this belief. Well, if you just be yourself, right? Like the mantra of today is just follow your heart, follow your desires, follow your dreams. Then you'll feel fulfilled. Then you'll have all the desires and everything that you want. But the Christian faith is not either one of those views. Grace is offered, but it's never earned. Grace is offered, but it's never earned. Listen, we all chose sin. I think for so many of us, we want to play the victim card, right? Well, I'm a victim of my sin. It was because I was raised in this culture or because I was raised with my parents or I didn't have a dad, I didn't have a mom, I was this way or that way. Like we try to shift the blame and say, this is why I'm sinful. This is why I do what I do. But that's not it. We are not victims of sin. We all chose sin. Sin is in our nature. I mean, if you don't believe me, go and talk to a two-year-old. You don't have to teach them stuff. They're greedy. They're selfish. Like they know how to be mean all. They know how to be sinful little monsters all on their own. You don't have to teach them any of that kind of stuff. They just know it. Why? Because sin is in all of us. It's in all of our nature. But here's the good news. There has been appearing. There has been an intervention. There has been a God who has broke through in your hopeless and helpless situation and has saved you from danger. And his name is Jesus. That's why in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen, you don't need to know the Greek to know that all people means all people, right? Like it means every single person. The intervention we need to be freed from the weight of our past doesn't come from religious works. It doesn't come from self-expression. It comes from Jesus. We have to remember that we are saved by Jesus's work. It was through his perfect life, his death on the cross, through him rising in. If we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus, then we can be saved, forgiven, and accepted by God. Now, the temptation... When we read verse 11, for many of us, we could look at that and said, well, it says that it has appeared, meaning this. Well, many people think the Old Testament God is grumpy God and New Testament God is not. Like Old Testament God, maybe it was daylight savings time and so he got a little extra hour sleep, you know, maybe a good cup of coffee and then decided, well, you know what? I'm gonna be gracious today. But nothing could be further from the truth. God describes himself in the Old Testament as a God abounding in love, abounding in grace, abounding in mercy. God has not changed. What Paul is really trying to say here is that the grace of God already existed. It was already there, but it is now publicly available to everyone because he sent Jesus. Jesus showed up in our world. He took on the dirtiness of our sin, died in our place, paid the debt that we owed, and gave us favor that we didn't deserve. And that's the truth that changes our past. Listen, grace is coming to you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is love coming to you that has nothing to do with you. God decided, I'm going to initiate, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to send my only son, Jesus. 
Again, the reason why Paul gives instructions about our behavior, when he gives instructions to men, women, young, old, rich, poor, when he's talking about all of those things, it's because now, hey, you can live this way because now salvation is available for all people. You can be freed and redeemed from the shame and the guilt and the burden of your past, not because of what you have done or what you can do, what your resume says, your talents, your abilities, your personality. It has everything to do with Jesus. Listen, we receive not partial forgiveness, not mostly forgiveness. We receive total forgiveness through faith in Jesus. And this is a humbling reality. When you sit and you think about the grace of God that has nothing to do with you, nothing you brought to the table, nothing that you are, has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with God initiating, it is a humbling thought and experience. And if you're here today and you've not yet received forgiveness from Jesus, then make today the day that you stop trying to clean yourself off. I gotta get all the mud off. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. Even in the Bible, it says that the the blood of Jesus will make us white as snow that he'll separate our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. So stop trying to do things on your own. Allow the blood of Jesus to cover a multitude of sins. Now, all of this is important to know right from the start because Paul is going to tell us here in just a minute about some things that we need to reject. But we can only reject what we know to be forgiven. We can only deal with the present if we know there's been provision in the past. And that's our second point today, and that is that grace changes your present. Paul goes on, because of the grace that has appeared, growth is not just a possibility, it is a reality. Jesus meets us wherever we are, whatever state we're in, but listen, he never leaves us there. And so in verse 12, he says, training us, grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In the Greek, that word training is translated to mean teaching, discipling, educating, or nurturing. We could say it this way, that grace is a teacher. I don't know how many of you here today have ever thought about grace as a teacher, but that's what Paul is saying here. And what's interesting about the language that Paul uses is this would have been very familiar to the first century Greeks and Romans who are reading or listening to this. Because the word he uses here is about how you become educated, how you become civilized. It's talking about how a parent would train or raise their child. It's talking about how you become virtuous. And so Paul takes this word that they would have been very familiar with and immediately would have had thoughts about that, that the, really the training, the educating, the, the nurturing, the, the, all that stuff that they need, it only takes place in a relationship with God by grace. That when it comes to your desires, grace will teach you to say no to those sinful desires and yes to godly ones. See, one of the most countercultural things right now about Christianity in 2023 is the fact that you would actually have to deny yourself. Our culture would be like, how dare you try to deny yourself? Take it all in, right? Follow your heart. Do all of those things. That's what our culture would say. Yeah, you want to go to Whataburger for the third time that day? Go for it, you know? You want to have that third donut? Don't deny yourself. You want to veg out on the couch and just, you know, watch Netflix all day? Hey, go and do it. 
Even more seriously, we need to deny ourselves to sexual immorality, to greed. We need to say no to things like lust, and we need to say no to even saying bad words, you know? We need to deny ourselves certain things, and the culture will be like, how dare you ever deny yourself? But what Paul is trying to say here is, no, we need to say no. Jesus even famously said, he said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. What is the cross? The cross is an instrument of death. Here's what this means. Every single second, moment by moment, we need to continually die to ourselves as we follow Jesus. So what are these ungodly and worldly passions that we need to say no to or that we need to die to? Well, ungodliness is really the opposite of everything we just talked about in verses 1 through 10. In fact, you could turn all the godly practices listed in Titus 2.2 into opposites, and you'll get a description of ungodliness. For example, getting drunk, being dishonorable, uh, lacking self-control. Move to verse 3, you could do the same thing. Ungodliness is found in people who are irreverent, slanders, addicts. Keep going, you'll find more descriptions of ungodliness. Impurity, unkindness, lacking integrity, talking back, stealing, untrustworthy. And these are just some of the things that I would say are ungodliness, evidences of ungodliness. So when Paul says we receive God's gift of grace, grace is teaching us to say no to all of those things. But then he talks about worldly passions. And I think in a way, Paul's just trying to say, hey, it's ungodliness and it's worldly passions. He's just trying to cover all his bases here. But a definition I found of worldly passions, it's referring to negative or evil desires that's not in line with God's grace. And I think for many of us, we hear all this, we can read this stuff and we go, I know. Like, I know my life shouldn't be characterized by these things. I know my life should not be marked by these things. But there is a war going on inside of me. And again, Paul's not a noob here. Like, Paul is not just writing things in his ivory tower going, hey, I know all these things you peasants are struggling with. No, he's experienced these very same things. Romans chapter 7, read it uh, sometime on your own. This week, today. But he talks about this war. He goes, I'm at war with myself, with my flesh. I know what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. And I hate that I do it because I know what's right. And it's this constant battle going back and forth. And for many of us, we go, wow, if Paul struggled, what hope is there for me? But there is hope found in it. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 12, training us to renounce. Your translation may say training us to say no. We need to be trained to say no. Why does he say this? Two reasons. One, Paul wants us to understand that our present transformation is a process, not a one-time event. See, for many of us, we want to get zapped. We want to have instant removal because there's this unwanted desire, a pattern of addiction, a pattern of sin in our lives. And so we're like, well, I just, I'm going to give my life to the Lord because I want it all to disappear. There's some bad things going on in my life. I'm going to give my life to the Lord because I want it all to disappear. And that's why we're constantly looking for the next sermon, the next podcast, the next book. I just need all this stuff zapped out of my life. And Paul says, no, this is a process. We need to continually learn to say no because we're being trained by grace. The second reason why I believe Paul says that we need to be trained to say no is because there's all kinds of wrong reasons or wrong motivations to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Here's what I mean by that. You can say no to an outward temptation because you don't want to look bad in front of other people. Basically, you want to save face. You can say no to worldly passions because you just don't want to get caught. You don't want to deal with the natural consequences of those sins. 
You can say no to worldly passions because you want health and wealth in your life, which is the prosperity gospel, which is not a gospel at all, and a false teaching. And the sad truth, the sad reality is there are many people and there are many churches who will teach this, that if you want health and wealth in your life, Jesus is just a stepping stone to that. And if you're sick or someone dies, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe in Jesus enough. That is the furthest thing from the truth. That is a false doctrine, a false gospel. It's not even a gospel. So many people will be like, hey, just trust in him. You get the money you want, the physical health you want. But all of those are wrong motivations. Those are all things that Paul is not talking about here. Why? Because all of those things are focused on self. None of these are motives for change. Paul doesn't say, hey, you need to say no to ungodliness so that you can be rich. Paul doesn't say, hey, you need to say no to ungodliness because uh, you just need to show up to work like this perfect Christian who's got it all together or show up on a Sunday and seem like this perfect Christian that no one can touch, that you got it all figured out. It's none of that stuff at all. It's the grace of God, the love of Jesus that changes you and allows you to overcome these sinful desires. Going back to Romans chapter 7. That's why Paul, when he's talking about there's this war going on inside, he later on says, but thank God the answer is in Jesus. When you know and experience Jesus' love for you, it changes how you view those temptations in your life. Again, there's a misunderstanding about grace in the church. Some Christians think, well, grace is I can just do whatever I want, sin, live my life how I want, and then God's just going to wink at my sin. Like, I'm just going to show up, and on a Sunday, I'm going to be like, I'm back, God. And God's going to look at you and say, well, I saw what you did on Tuesday. Oh, I heard what you said Thursday. I saw what you did Friday night. Oh, but it's okay. You're at church. Poof. Grace. Wink. Got your back. But that's not it at all. Why would we willingly pursue the very things that Jesus died for? Whether you're married or not, you can think about it like this. If you're married and your spouse says, hey, listen, you can do whatever you want and I'll always forgive you, I'll always love you. It doesn't matter what you do. Are you going to be like, great, I'm going to go to Vegas, I'm going to go uh, to, to you know, Nashville, I'm going to go do what I want, I'm going to cheat on you, I'm going to go live my life, I'm going to come back, I'm going to tell you all about it, and then I'm just going to ask for forgiveness and you're still going to forgive me and love me? Great, see you later. What does that communicate? That does not communicate a relationship. That does not communicate love. Listen, grace is not a license to sin. It's a motivation to love. It's not your license to sin. It's a motivation to love. God's grace has shown up, not for us to stay in our sin, but to be free from our sin with the power that he provides. We're all going to live, Romans 7, where there's this war going on. I know I shouldn't do these things. I know I should do this instead. And for many of us, we wonder, I don't know if I have the power to resist. The Holy Spirit will then come in and say, hey, Jesus loves you. He designed, has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not made to do these things. In fact, even in the Bible, it says that he always provides a way of escape when we're faced with temptation. But think about it like this. The Holy Spirit is your personal gospel trainer. You know, we're, we're in the holiday season and, um, you know, we've got a lot of candy in my house right now. And so the dad tax has gone up because inflation, you know, and, uh, and so there's a lot. And then of course, Thanksgiving's coming up and then we got Christmas and January's going to roll around. And for many of us, we're going to go, I got to lose some weight, you know, like I got to do something here because it's just not going to be healthy. So you're going to sign up for the gym like everybody else does. And they're going to offer you this personal trainer 
And you're going to be like, this personal trainer, it's a little too expensive. I don't think I'm going to do that. But listen, this is free. This is your gospel, your gospel personal holy trainer here, and it's free. He teaches you what to say no, what to, it's constantly a training exercise here. Jesus empowers us with new affections that overpower old desires. And listen, if you talk to someone who's been a Christian for any length of time, if they're honest with you, they're going to tell you, hey, the old desires don't necessarily go away, but they're just replaced with new affections. God's grace changes are present. This week, I read about a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. And um, for some of you, you know who he is. Others of you, if you don't know who he is, um, I don't want to go through everything that he did. But to say the least, his rap sheet is this, pedophilia, murder, and cannibalism. So it's like some of the worst things that could ever mark a person, right? And by the way, I feel like I'm the only pastor talking about Jeffrey Dahmer on a Sunday. So but, but it's, it's got a really interesting and cool story here. This is a messed up dude. And CNN, they go in and they try to do this interview. They do this interview with him. And as they're interviewing him, he says this, I don't know where I can find forgiveness. I have no peace. Now, I don't know what you're thinking when you hear that. I think a lot of us, we just think, well, yeah, good. You don't deserve peace. You don't deserve forgiveness. Like you're the scum of the earth. You've done some of the worst things imaginable. Like, good, you don't need forgiveness. You don't need peace. But this lady named um, Mary Mott, she she saw this and she thought, well, I know where he can find forgiveness and peace. So she wrote him a letter. She gives it to him with several Bible studies that she had as well. And Jeffrey Dahmer, the cannibal, the pedophile, the, the murderer, he begins reading these Bible studies. And he writes Mary back and he says, I really enjoyed those. I'm learning a lot. Would you please send more? So she sends more. And while all of this is going on, a chaplain in the jail says that he gave his life to Jesus. We're talking a confession, a profession, and a possession of Jesus in his life. So much so that the jailer, the guards, the inmates, they're all like, we don't even know who this guy is. He is a completely different person. It ends with him baptizing him in a whirlpool in a maximum security prison. What a beautiful story of God's grace. Now, this week, I read a lot of other articles that said, well, if Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to go there. Well, no, if God can forgive that, then I don't know if he's a true God. I'm like, man, how, how bad is that? Good thing we're not God, right? Like, it's a good thing because that's all feelings-based. Well, I feel this way, that these sins are the worst sins. These people should never be forgiven. But I, with my sins, can be forgiven and redeemed. Listen, all sin separates us from God. It all disqualifies us. God and sin cannot be in the same place. They cannot exist. All sin separates us from our Savior. But think about that's how big, that's how powerful, that's how huge the cross of Jesus is, that it will forgive a pedophile, a murderer, a cannibal. It'll forgive you of your sins. Whatever sins you're in right now, whatever sins you're dealing with right now, the cross of Jesus is that big that it'll forgive a multitude of your sins. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you believe in that gospel, he will forgive you and he will change your present. Paul then, he gives us three examples of how grace changes your present. He says, and to live self-controlled. This is meaning that we have our desires. We're not trying to immediately go to the old ones, but we're learning self-control. We're being trained to have that self-control. I need to say no to these things. 
trying to live lives that are glorifying to God. Then it says upright, which means right action towards other people. I believe it's Matthew 7. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's what he's talking about there. And then godly living, godly lives means that we do everything, everything that we do in our lives, we do out of worship and love for him. So Paul lays out that grace changes our past, it changes our present, but it also changes our future. That's our third thought today. Grace changes our future. See, the Greeks believed one day there would be an end, that there would be this appearing, that there would be this intervention that would transform the world. And Paul's like, hey, you know what? You're half right. But it's not going to come in the way that you think it's going to happen. God is the one who's going to appear, and it's going to be by grace. But there's also this other intervention, this other appearing. And that's the second coming of Jesus. So look at what he says in verse three or verse 13. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to focus on here in a minute. Paul now describes the saving work, what grace is in verse 14. He says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And here's what all of us as followers of Jesus, we need to do in light of receiving this grace. This is what we need to do. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard but I really want to focus in on verse 13. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read this week. It's one of the highest titles that the Bible gives Jesus. And really what this verse is trying to get at is, and what this verse is saying is that as followers of Jesus, we wait with anticipation because we know there is going to be a second coming of Jesus. It's going to happen. And so we wait with excitement and with hope because we are going to see the glory of God coming to earth. But I want to hone in on that word glory because what is glory? God's glory is when an attribute of him goes public. So think about it like this. God is kind, God is joyful, God is merciful, wrathful, sovereign, loving, whatever it is. It's when a characteristic of God goes public and it's glorious. And you can see God for who he is. Moses, you can even go back to Exodus. Moses was like, hey, God, would you show me your glory? God's like, can't do that. You'll die. You know, we're going to one day see the glory of God. But it's interesting how this passage is broken up. The first coming, the first appearing is described as grace. And that's good news for everybody here today. Receive Jesus. God will forgive you of your sins. The second appearing, it's talked about here, it's glory. And that's not good news for every single person here today. In fact, if you read Revelation 19, the language of the return of Jesus is both amazing and terrifying all at the same time. But if you've been to Awaken for any length of time, you know, I've said this, this is where all life is headed to. We're all marching to this end. We shouldn't be shocked when we see things happening in our culture because we know, hey, this is how it ends. But I know for many of us, we don't think this way. We're thinking about what I got to do later today, what I got to do tomorrow, what meetings do I have? If you're traveling, I got to make travel plans next week. Uh, Holidays are coming up. What are we getting for Christmas? Are we traveling for Christmas? What vacations am I going on? Listen, I fall in the same trap. I normally don't think about the return of Jesus as much as I really should. 
But if we're going to be people who are shaped by God's word, we need to know that this is where life is all, this is where life is headed. We need to think this way. Jesus is going to be a part of everybody's future. I'll even say it this way. The glory of Jesus is going to be a part of everybody's future. And that's why the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But it's not going to be a joyful bow for many people. The reason why they're going to bow is because the glory of God is going to be so great they cannot stand on their own. And so the Christian life is one where we say, man, my life is about God being gracious to me and I can't believe that a God that glorious has been so gracious to me. In Jesus, we see both the grace of God and the glory of God. And the truth right now is we're in between both those appearances, the appearance of grace and the second coming of glory. Uh, tombstones, you know, they've got like the date of birth and the date of death. And in the middle, you see that little hash, the little mark in between. That's where we're at. That little dash right now is Repentance. We're in the age of repentance. November 5th, 2023, we are in repentance. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is from the grace of God. And so if you're here today and you're battling with sin, you're dealing with things in your life, you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. Maybe you're kind of just this lukewarm Christian, maybe kind of living the life, showing up to church when it's appropriate, when you feel like you can and all of that. Listen, you are in the age of repentance. Don't try to rationalize your sin, re-explain it, resist, try to run and reinterpret things. Repent. Say, that this is the grace of God. I'm going to repent. This is it. I'm going to give my life to Jesus because not only will he change me, he'll forgive me as well. We're in that dash. We're in these two appearings. Jesus came to redeem us from our sins and from our past, but there's another appearing that's going to happen in the future. Jesus will come back in glory and he will remake the world. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you need to hold both of those in your hand if you want to grow in your present. When I was growing up, I had this thing called a disc man. Did anybody ever have a disc man? Yeah, you know, and they always came with janky headphones, you know, like they were never really great. I would like plug in the headphones, but if I didn't get it in the jack far enough, like I would hear one side and not hear the other side. And then of course, if they broke, then I would hear one side and not hear the other side. I wasn't listening to song in stereo. I had all bass and all drums, but I didn't have vocals and guitar, you know? And so as I'm on my rollerblades in the 90s, skating around, thinking I'm the coolest thing, you know, I'm not able to be cool because I can't even listen to the song in stereo. You need both. And today, the same is true about the grace of God. You need the grace, what has been done for you in the past and the grace of what's gonna happen in the future. And some of you right now, you're not experiencing growth in your present because you got something broken. You got a headphone broken. Some of you know that Jesus has saved you from the past, but you're anxious, you're worried about the future. Maybe it's because you're trying to seek other things outside of Jesus. You gotta listen to grace in stereo. Others of you, you might be like, well, I know Jesus is gonna come again, but I don't know what to do with my past sins. You're not listening to grace in stereo. Jesus has come. He's coming again. And in between, he's working in our lives. Those are the three tenses of salvation, past, present, and future. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. I am being delivered from the power of sin. And one day I will be delivered from the presence of sin. 
And that's good news of the grace of God at work in your life. So let's do spiritually what we cannot do physically. Let's look at two directions at the same time. Let's look at the past grace, grace that's been given to us, and let's look at the future glory. And let's be people who live out verse 15. Let's declare these things with all authority. Listen, people are lost and dying every single day in our world. There are people that you know who have died, who are lost right now, separated from their Savior. We have this truth. We've experienced the grace. So let's not just hold it to ourselves. I'm worried my friends might make fun of me. No, don't worry about that. I don't know if I can't listen. Persecution, it's going to come at some point. We need to learn how to just be people who can share the gospel. So let's declare these things with all authority because we, God has been so gracious to us. We want him to experience our savior as well. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.